This is the West Concord Sermon Podcast. Today we continue through our study in the book of Philippians. Our selection today comes from chapter 3, verse 17, and continues to chapter 4, verse 1. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you receive a blessing from today's message. And good morning, and welcome to Worship with West Concord. Hope everyone is managing well through all the coronavirus. We've been several weeks into it now, and I think the further we get along in it, the more I miss you, our church family. But until then, we'll keep doing sermons this way and doing the very best we can to bring you the Word of God. And we're going to continue in the book of Philippians this week as we continue to unpack the subject of the spirit of joy set free. You know, I think it's a God thing that He led us to study this book during this time in our nation's life because there's certainly so much going on around us that's difficult that uh, joy has become a commodity. Joy has become something that we really look for. And I want to tell you again, joy is very much possible in your life. Joy is probable in your life as you grow closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're going to continue to look in the book of Philippians as Paul is writing this letter from prison, encouraging the people of Philippi that despite their circumstances, despite his circumstances, joy is not only possible, but probable, and it's a characteristic of a life surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as we've been talking about joy, we've been talking about different characteristics of it. But one of the things we're going to talk about today is we're going to warn you about the joy stealers because joy is a treasure. Joy is precious. That wonderful feeling of contentment, purposefulness, and completeness in God, that is something that is to be cherished. And yes, there are those forces that seek to steal this away from us. Now, I understand people say, well, the devil's doing this and the devil's doing that. Let me clear up something quickly. Um, the devil is not God. The devil is not omnipresent. In other words, he can't be everywhere at once. The devil is not omniscient. He doesn't know everything like God does. And the devil is not omnipotent. He's all, he is not rather all powerful like God is. So when you say the devil's after me, the fact of the matter is, and don't take offense at this, the devil himself is probably not after you. As a matter of fact, the devil himself may not even know who you and I are. He's after bigger fish like political leaders and potentates and influencers in the grander culture of the world. But he does have minions. He does have a demonic host. And he does have a world where he influences people negatively against God. And these manifest themselves, whether they're people or circumstances, into joy stealers. So we're going to look at joy stealers this morning. So as we open scripture to Philippians chapter 3, let's bow together in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the privilege and opportunity to gather yet again, Father, if not in person, Lord, in this digital way. We thank you for the technologies and the talented people who can produce these things so that we might bring your word. Lord, bless our church, bless those who watch, and I pray that you'll bring us through this pandemic, and I pray that when we come to the other end of it, Father, we'd be stronger, we'd be better, we'd be transformed. Until then, Lord, may we chase after the joy that comes from you. May we cling to it and may we fight off anyone or anything that would seek to steal it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who is the prince of preachers in the 19th century. He was responsible for leading literally tens of thousands of people to Jesus Christ all over the globe. Had this to say about joy and rejoicing. He said this, he said, to rejoice in temporal or temporary comforts is dangerous. To rejoice in self is foolish. To rejoice in sin is fatal. But to rejoice in God is heavenly. You know, King David said as much, and I believe probably this is where Spurgeon got this concept. In Psalm chapter 16, in verse 11, David said this about God. He said, you will show me the path of life. You know, if we want to know how to live, if we want to know what is important, if we want to know what we need to focus on, it's God. He says, you will show me the path of life. He says, in your presence is the fullness of joy. You know, Moses understood this. We have a psalm, Psalm 90, that is an ancient psalm that Moses evidently penned according to Scripture, in that he said that God is the dwelling place for multiple generations in Psalm 91. We need to make ourselves at home in God. This world is not our home. Our circumstances aren't our home. This world is difficult, as we've already seen in the last several weeks and continue to see. But he said of God, the psalmist David here said of God, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is the fullness of joy. And Moses echoes that in Psalm 90. He says, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The fact of the matter is, God is the source of all of our joy. And if we want our joy set free, then we will need to focus our lives upon God, focus our hearts, focus our minds upon Him. We get so distracted by the junk of the world, by the difficulty of the world, by friends and family and their opinions and their thoughts, and, and we listen to the news and social media, and we listen to our own flesh and our own desires. And if we're not careful, we're going to get distracted from God. Maybe you already have and you've allowed the joy stealers to come in your life and to steal it. Now, let me make something else clear as we jump into this. Joy is something that can be stolen, but it's only when you allow it to be stolen does that happen. See, because joyfulness is your choice. Joyfulness is my choice. I can't depend upon someone else other than God for my joy. If I'm depending upon the world for my joy, it's not coming. You heard what Spurgeon said earlier. Trusting in temporary things is ridiculous. Trusting in self is foolish. And trusting in sin, the pleasures of sin, is fatal. And so if we're going to keep our joy safe, intact, and functioning, we need to be careful of the joy stealers. Now, I've listed about 10 different things that can be considered as joy stealers. There are many more, and these things can take on other forms as well. But just a few complaining, by the way, can be a joy stealer. If you spend your life never happy, never satisfied, always whining, always complaining, then joy is going to elude you. It's been stolen. Or procrastination, putting stuff off till tomorrow or next week that you know you need to deal with today. I can't tell you how much I hear that. Mike, when this pandemic is over, I'm going to do this. Pastor, when all this is over, I'm going to give that. And we put it off. And we talked about this last time. We need to do what we're going to do now. Procrastination can steal your joy. Gossip. Oh boy, gossip can steal your joy. You know, I find my life to be very much easy when I don't tangle myself in the affairs of other people. 
unless they come to me for counseling, I, I don't want to get involved because I don't, I've got enough to carry around with me of my own difficulties and issues, much less carrying around somebody else's, unless, of course, they need counseling. And then I can provide this, the secure counsel of the Word of God. Uh, comparison can steal joy. You know, comparing yourself with another family, comparing your finances, what you have and what you don't have, comparing yourself with someone else as far as your looks or as far as your age or as far as your weight. You know, when we compare ourselves to other people, that can rob our joy. People-pleasing. You know, you do what you do to make someone happy. You know, there's nothing wrong with helping somebody, caring for somebody, giving to somebody. But if you're living your life for the approval of others, you're not going to have much joy. Negativity is a joy stealer. You know, when you hear negativity or you spread negativity, negativity never helped anybody get anywhere. And boy, we've got a lot of it going on today. And circumstances. <laughs> Are we not in circumstances? A, a, a worldwide pandemic? COVID-19, coronavirus, call it what you will. These are some of the worst circumstances our world has faced in decades. And here we are right in the middle of them. And if you're looking for this world to bring you joy, it isn't there. Or guilt. Maybe you're walking around carrying guilt. Guilt from the past. We talked about how Paul said, I forget the past and I reach forward. Forget your guilt. Take your guilt to Jesus Christ and seek forgiveness. Fear. We're experiencing that too. I know we are. All of us are experiencing the fear. We don't want to get this virus. We don't want somebody we love to get this virus. We're afraid of our jobs, our financial situation, our governmental situation. There's a lot of fear going on. But we need to replace that fear as best we can with trust in God. You know, this whole world is struggling. This whole world is having difficulty, but it's in God's hands. And of course, another joy stealer, is bad influences, who we choose to hang with, who we choose to have as friends, the people who are our companions. What do they tell us? What kind of news do they give us? Are they reliable? Do they lift us up to God? Do they build us up? Or are they tearing us down? You know, that's one of the biggest joy stealers on this list, these bad influences. And Paul is going to talk a little bit about this in this passage. So if you have your Bible, turn with me, if you will, to chapter 3 of Philippians, and we're going to pick up where we left off last time in verse 17. And Paul is going to talk about first, as far as protecting our joy, he's going to talk about choosing godly friends. You know, you're going to be like the people that you choose to spend your best time with. You're going to adopt their habits, you're going to adopt their mannerisms, and oftentimes you're going to adopt their philosophies, their thoughts, their feelings, their outlooks. And Paul tells us, look, we need to make sure we choose godly friends. We need to choose people who are going to lift us up to the Lord and not bring us down or pull us away from Him. And first of all, he's going to talk about good examples. In verse 17, he says this. He says, brethren, join in following my example. You know, that took a lot of guts for Paul. And he does this in other areas in his letters. He said, basically, follow him as he follows Christ. He says, join in following my example. Now understand this. Paul, like you and I, was not perfect. Paul was a human. He struggled just like you and I struggle with sin, with selfishness. But Paul was calling us to follow his example as he was seeking to follow Jesus. Don't follow him when he fails in sin. Don't follow him when he stumbles. 
You know, oftentimes we say, well, the pastor did it, it's okay. Or the deacon messed up here, it must be okay. No, it's never okay. It's not okay for the pastor, it's not okay for the deacon, and it's not okay for you. We need to constantly be seeking to follow good, godly examples. And Paul was saying, as I follow Jesus, follow my example. And he says, he goes on to say, and note those who so walk. In other words, who order their behaviors that way. As you have us for a pattern. In other words, that when we choose our friends, we need to choose people who are godly and, and, and are living according to the scriptures and are striving to please him. Now, let me, let me clarify something. We should be friendly to everyone. And yes, we can have unsaved friends. Yes, we can have friends who are struggling. We need to be their friend. We need to share the word of God with them, encourage them and draw them along. That's how we disciple people. But what we're talking about here are those close friends, those people that you spend more quality time with, those people that you're uh, relationally intimate with as far as knowing the deepest uh, details of their lives, your best friends, for lack of a better phrase, or your spouse, for that matter. You need to make sure that you pick godly people. I've told my children, and when I was youth pastor at different churches, I always told the young people, when you're choosing a spouse, choose somebody that loves Jesus more than they love you, and you'll do well. Same thing with choosing friends. You know, the reason why I'm serving the Lord Jesus Christ today is because after I got saved, some of the guys that led me to Christ continue to disciple me, continue to be my friends, and they wouldn't let me get away with junk. And they modeled for me godliness, as we're going to talk about down the road here in just a minute. But we need to have good examples. But you know, Paul also contrasts that with some bad examples. Look at verse 18, for instance. He says, for many walk, in other words, many order their lives, of whom I've told you often, and now tell you even weeping. This broke Paul's heart, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Did you hear that phrase? Paul said, I'm going to share with you some bad examples, and they're heartbreaking. They cause me to weep when I think about them. And he says, they are enemies of the cross of Christ. And quite frankly, anybody whose life is not committed and surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ, to some extent, is working against the cross of Christ, is working against his mission and his plan. And yes, you could almost say they're enemies of the cross of Christ. Even some believers, when they turn their backs upon God and follow after their own ways, they are living as enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ. Harsh words, yes, but very direct. He goes on to describe these people. He says in verse 19, whose end is destruction. You know, when you are apart from God, when you are apart from Him, then your end is destruction. If you die in sin without receiving Jesus as your Savior, you will be separated from God for all eternity. This is not something to take joy in. This is not something to be glad about. This is heartbreaking. It's heart-wrenching. One of the very first funerals I ever did was of an unsaved person. And I want to tell you, I've done a couple like that. And those are some of the most difficult funerals I've ever done because you know that that person is not in heaven if they've never received Christ as his or her Savior. And you know, we as Christians, we don't need to emulate those people. We don't need to have people who are enemies of the cross to be our examples. We need to love them. We need to be compassionate toward them. We need to respect them as the creation of God and seek to share the gospel with them. 
But they don't need to be our close friends because they will drag you down. I can't tell you how many times I've heard somebody say, well, I'll change them. No, you won't. Most likely they'll change you. So be careful. Their end is destruction. He says, whose God is their belly. In other words, they are their own God. They are the center of their universe. They will live their lives according to their desires, their preferences, their wants, their needs. They will come first. And oftentimes, even if they're your friend, they will come before you. So Paul says, beware of those bad examples. He goes on to call them uh, and describe them by calling them those whose glory is, in, is actually their shame. You know, their glory, they, they like a nice reputation. They like fame. They like to be known. Big man, big woman on campus. Uh, most important person, celebrities. You know, all of that's well and good. But the Bible says in Daniel that we as Christians, as we surrender our lives to Christ and lead people to Him and become conduits to the Word of God, the Bible says in Daniel 12 that one day we will shine as the lights of the brightness of the firmament forever. You know, you could be a celebrity in this world, but a lot of celebrities have died without Christ and their star has burnt out. But if you live for the Lord Jesus Christ, you will shine for eternity. You see, these bad examples, their glory is in their shame, actually, because there's nothing going to come from it. And I want you to notice the last one in verse uh, 19, who set their mind, there's that key word again, who set their mind on earthly things. In other words, they're consumed with this world. They're consumed with politics. They're consumed with material possessions. They're consumed with their own prestige. They're consumed with gossip. They're consumed with everything in this world. What we need to be consumed with is God. We need to let God consume us. We need to be consumed by Him and with Him. That is true joy. And that's the example that we need to follow. But these are bad examples. So Paul said, look, follow me as I seek to follow Christ. He's already shared with us the example of Timothy and Epaphroditus in the earlier chapters. These wonderful godly men. And there are wonderful godly women all around us that we need to follow and live uh, like they do. And he says, be careful of those bad examples. Be careful of who you choose to share your intimate moments with, your time with. Be careful who you make your close and best friends. And be careful who you look up to and celebrate. What posters hang on your wall? What kind of things and what kind of people do you look at for your inspiration? You be very careful with that. Because if you're not, they'll steal your joy. And they'll steal it rather quickly. So Paul tells us, that we need to be careful to choose godly friends. We need to follow good examples, not bad examples. He goes on to say, also, as we do this, we need to also model ourselves a glorified future. In other words, when people see us, they need to see God in us, and we also, in doing that, become a conduit of hope. They see us living for God, living for something, living for someone. And Paul tells us, look, we don't need to follow these bad examples. We need to choose better. Why is that? Well, look at verse 20. For our citizenship, we're not, we're not minded on earthly things. He says, our citizenship is in heaven. It's in heaven. 
from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, speaking in an earthly way, I'm an American. My father was an American, his father before him. My earthly citizenship is American. But when I received Jesus Christ as my Savior when I was 15, I suddenly shifted to a grander citizenship. While I'm still a citizen of this country and love this country and loyal to this country, as a matter of fact, Romans 13 tells me I should be, my ultimate loyalty, my ultimate love is for my kingdom. And that's what he tells us. See, we need to model that glorified future, and that involves transformation. It involves transformation. Romans 12, 2, Paul says, not to be conformed to this world. We shouldn't be like the world. He just said those are bad examples in their previous verse. Don't be minded of earthly things. Don't let your belly be your God because the end there is destruction. He says we need to be transformed by what? The renewing of our minds. The bad examples, the enemies of the cross, they're earthly minded. They're focused on the things that, have, that, that are of this world. But we need to be focused on the things of God. We need to get into the Word, get on our knees, and let God transform our minds so that instead of being focused on ourselves, we're focused on Him. We need to be heavenly-minded. And yes, that involves transformation. And that's what God is doing with us. When we receive Christ as our Savior, we, we pass from death unto life positionally, when I trusted Jesus as my Savior, I went from being hell-bound to heaven-bound. And yes, I received entrance into heaven one day, and I received eternal life. But God is in the process now of making me different, transforming me. See, that is our ultimate goal of transformation eternally. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. But there's a temporal transformation that goes on now. We should be changing. We should be coming more like Jesus. Why? Because we're citizens of heaven. That is our home. That is our loyalty. And we should be doing that because of our loyalty to the kingdom. You know, this whole coronavirus going on, and people say, man, I can't wait to get back to normal. You know what? I hope to heaven we never get back to what was normal. I want to get back to something that is better than what normal was. I want to get back to above normal. I want a new normal. And that normal for my life is a better, more surrendered life for Jesus Christ. I'm hoping this whole virus pandemic changes me. And if God grants me a future in this world, I hope I will be more Christ-like at the end of this pandemic than I was at the beginning. Our, I hope our church is more Christ-like after this is all over. I hope the, the churchianity that we get involved in dies, and I hope the real church of Jesus Christ rises up because we are citizens of heaven. That is our ultimate loyalty right now, even beyond our earthly entanglements. That is that temporal transformation now. We need to be transforming in that direction, not only because of our loyalty to the kingdom, but because of our love for the king. Look what he says. For our citizenship is in heaven. That's loyalty to our kingdom, from which we also eagerly, excitedly await the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, my goodness. If we truly love Him, the love for Him is going to continue to transform us. How? Because we're going to be eager to please Him. We're going to be desirous to emulate Him. And that's where that transformation comes in. 
if we get just caught up in this world, we get satisfied. We just sit and petrify like the rest of the world around us. Then where's the loyalty to the, to the kingdom? Where's the love for the king? You know, when I got married, rightly so, marriage changed me. I like to think I became a better person because I married Susan. And so just like that, when I entered into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, the risen, saving Lord Jesus Christ, I want to be more like him. I fail so often, but I'm hoping that I'm on that upward path, that transformation. And yes, if I go through this virus as a believer and I'm not transformed, if I haven't learned the meaning in the misery, shame on me and shame on you as well as a believer. And so we need to be transformed in a temporal way. It needs to change us in this world because modeling a glorified future is all about transformation. You can't live like the world, focused on the world, enamored with the world, consumed with the world and earthly things, and expect people to look at you and say, gee, what do they have that I want? I want to go to heaven like they are. I want to know God like they know him. If you're no better or different than anybody else, then what's to... Uh, What's to influence anybody? So modeling a glorified future involves a temporal transformation as we go through this life. But it also foreshadows a total transformation later. And that's the second part of this, of this point. We need to be mindful of that total transformation later. Yes, this world is a mess. We're in a pandemic. We're struggling financially, struggling with our health. We're all going bonkers because we're locked in the house. You know, my trips consist of coming to church, going to Chick-fil-A drive-thru, and going back home again. I can't believe I would ever miss the time when I couldn't go to the grocery store for several reasons. I can't do that. But you know, one day, this is all going to be over. The Bible tells me that through Jesus Christ, yes, God comes to indwell in me. Yes, God begins to change me and sanctify me. But you know what? Yes, one day, I will go to heaven to be with him. If I were to drop dead right now, I would immediately go to heaven to be with Jesus Christ. Not because I'm any better than anybody else. Not because I'm a Baptist preacher or not because I go to church or because I do this or that or give this or that. It is because of what Jesus has done and given to me and for me. Salvation is a gift. It's not something that you and I earn. It's something that you and I have been given. And it is total and complete salvation. And yes, I'm living for one day when I will leave this earth either through rapture or through rupture, and I will spend eternity with him in heaven. And look what Paul says about this. He talks about our citizenship is in heaven. We have a kingdom. We have a savior. Look at verse 21. He says, who will transform. There's an ultimate transformation coming. Our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body. 1 John chapter 5 says one day we will see him as he is and we will be like him. You know, whenever I do a funeral of a brother and sister who's passed away, who's gone home to be with the Lord, I love sharing the idea that even though they struggled in this world and their body gave out and failed, God is preparing a new, perfect, wonderful, eternal body in heaven. You know, we're dealing with coronavirus. That's just one of the things we deal with. Some people are dealing with other ailments, arthritis, diabetes, high blood pressure, cancer. We deal with the limitations of aging. 
I hear you young people out there, not me, man. Oh, it's coming. Hang on. We're all dealing with issues. Life in this world is a mess. Our bodies struggle. But, but listen, praise God, we got a new and glorious body coming through Jesus Christ. He says that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. We have a glorious future. We have something to look forward to. Yes, this is a mess. Yes, this world disappoints. It's disillusioning. It's difficult. But listen, it's all going to be gone. It's only here for a time, and then it'll vanish away like a vapor, and then we'll be in eternity with God forever. I tell you, I, we don't have to wait till a funeral to talk about that. Let's get excited about it now. My goodness, we may have decades left in this world, but it goes by quickly, and we'll have a new and glorious body. This old, lowly, broken-down body, it'll be gone. It'll drop but I'll rise. If you know Jesus Christ, the same will happen to you. So we have quite a bit to look forward to. We have a glorious future to get excited about. Let me ask you this question. Would you want to leave anybody out of that? Would you want to leave anybody behind? I want to take everybody I can with me to heaven. And even now, as I'm seeking temporal transformation, I want everybody I can to know the splendor, the joy of walking with God now. I mean, granted, we're not in heaven yet. And yes, it's difficult. But even in the midst of this difficulty, we can have joy if we do not allow the joy stealers to take it. We need to model that glorious future because of Jesus Christ. We are citizens of heaven. This world is not our home. As a matter of fact, if you want to think of it as an investment, this world one day is going to die. It's going to be burned up. Everything that you and I cherish that is material, that is temporary, is just that. It's temporary. It's material. When you and I leave this world, either by death or by rapture, we're going to leave it all behind. And we're going to look back and say, I spent 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years on stuff that doesn't matter. But if we focus on letting God transform us now and not allowing the earthly or the earth to steal our joy, man alive, we begin to taste heaven now and we begin to look forward to our glorious future. And so the Bible tells us very clearly that we need to model a glorified, a glorious future. Total transformation later. Temporary transformation now as we seek to be more like Christ, but total transformation later. Our old lowly earthly bodies exchange for new glorious heavenly bodies. Oh my goodness. If that doesn't bring you joy, I don't know whatever else can. So what do we do in the meantime? Well, again, let's review. Choose godly friends. Choose godly influences. Don't let the media influence you. Don't let the culture influence you. Listen, the culture in the United States, all over the world, the Western world, the Eastern world, is world-centered. It's, it's earth-centered. It's self-centered. We need to focus on God. He is the center of the universe, and He will be for all eternity. So we need to choose godly friends, examples that we can look up to, people who will lift us up and not tear us down. And we need to read things that encourage us, watch things that lift us up. We need to be careful of what we let into our eye gate, what we let into our ear gate. And we need to let God 
lift us up. We're going to look at that in a couple of weeks as we continue in Philippians. We need to choose godly friends, not, good, not bad examples, but good examples. And we need to model our glorious future, our glorified future. We need, to, we need to let God transform us now as we go through this temporary time. We need to let Him change us and make us new. And again, I'll say this many times throughout this. If you go through this coronavirus and you come out just the way you were before it, then you've missed the point. God has allowed this whole thing to happen. I don't know specifically why, but I think we can all agree that God has allowed it for a reason of transformation. And we need to hang on to Him with it. So we need to make sure we live that glorified future. Let, us, let Him transform us now in anticipation of our future transformation in heaven. So what do we do? We also do one more thing. We stand guarded in firmness. We have to decide. Listen, as I said earlier, being joyful is your choice. It's my choice. It's not something that just works up because of an experience. I, I, I'm amazed at Christians who will go and look for a Christian experience. And they find that experience and it makes them emotionally giddy and emotionally happy. And they have this wonderful experience. It might be a worship service or a Christian concert or a great sermon. And they go for this experience. We want, to, we want to have an experience. Let me tell you about experiences. Experiences come and go based on circumstances. I may go to a service one Sunday night and hear the greatest Christian band and hear the greatest Christian speaker. And man, I may have a grand experience. And then Monday get fired from my job. And there's another experience. Or get a bad doctor's report. It's not a good experience. If you're looking for experiences to bring you joy, you're going to be frustrated. If you're looking for your circumstances to, to make your life purposeful and meaningful and joyful, you're in for a big, rude awakening. We need to choose joy. We need to choose to make God our center, God our focus, God our lives, and the things of God, the Word of God, the truths of God, the Son of God. The mission of God needs to be our mission. The truth of God needs to be our philosophy. And the plan of God needs to be our direction. And the Son of God needs to be our hope. So what we need to do is we need to choose joy. And we do that and we guard from the joy stealers by standing in guarded firmness. You know, if you want to protect something, you post a guard. You go to... Fort Knox in the United States, they have guards posted. They have guard towers with guards with machine guns, semi-automatic and automatic weapons. They have alarm systems. They have fail-safes. You and I just can't walk into Fort Knox and get whatever gold bars we want. Banks are that way. I remember growing up, my dad was in the Air Force. I remember before we could get on MacDill Air Force Base in Tampa, we had to go through a guard gate and a guard with an automatic weapon would come to the car and make sure we were supposed to be there. And if we didn't have the proper identification on our card or on our person, he turned us back and we had to go home. You know, we guard those things that are precious to us. And I would think that as a believer, your joy is a precious thing. It is a treasure. Because quite frankly, that's all that we have right now. You know, you might have had a lot of money. You might have had a great job. You might have had all your health. 
Well, how does it look today? How does it look for the near future? Circumstances have changed a bit, wouldn't you say? We've gone through some difficult times. There are people who are facing heartbreaking events right now. And you know what? If you're hanging on to anything in this world, you're going to be in for a rude awakening. I'm not saying it's all going to end bad, but I'm just saying things are difficult. If you're going to make it, if I'm going to make it, we need to focus on God and make Him our joy. And we need to guard that joy with a greater fervency than they guard the treasure at Fort Knox. How do we do that? Well, look at chapter 4. You know, uh, chapter breaks in the Bible aren't necessarily inspired. They were actually added several centuries later. But chapter 4, we finished in chapter 3. We're going to pick up in chapter 4 and verse 1 because the thought still continues. He says, therefore, he says, my beloved and longed for brethren. Look what he says here too. I love this. My joy and my crown. Oh, he loved the Philippian people. He loved the people that he led to Jesus. He loved the people that were struggling to find Jesus. They were his joy and his crown because why? He was on Jesus' mission. He said, my beloved and longed for brethren, my joy and my crown. So stand fast in the Lord, beloved. In other words, be firm, stand firm, firmly guard your joy against the negativity, against earthly pursuits and distractions. Guard your joy against disillusion, discouragement. Guard your joy against gossip, against all these things, bad influences. Guard your joy against lies that are being told in the media and on social media. I'm going to tell you one of the worst things that hit this culture is social media. Yes, I'm on social media. I'm a pastor. I need to know what people are thinking and saying. Uh, but I and I have friends like you do on social media. But if you're getting your information and your news from social media, you're pretty ill-informed. You need to focus on the truth of Almighty God and learn to recognize truth in the culture when you see it. And that begins by guarding your mind. Again, two key words in Philippians, joy being the main one and mind being the second one. You're going to see the word mind turn up. We get so focused on the heart that we forget to focus on the mind. You need truth. Apologist and scholar Frank Turek talks about the fact that people are on a happiness quest when they should be on a truth quest because happiness is like a roller coaster. It's up and down. You're going to be frustrated. But truth is the quest we should be on. And where do we get truth? We get it first and foremost from the Bible, from the Word of God. We need to learn from God how to recognize truth in the culture as well. For I'm going to tell you about the American culture. I'm going to tell you about the entertainment culture, the social media culture, the celebrity culture. It's self-centered, self-soaked, sin-soaked, and it's all about humanity. Our public schools are washed in it. Our, our state universities and our secular universities are no longer marketplaces of ideas for education. They have become centers of indoctrination for godlessness, for humanism, and it's sad. We need to learn to recognize truth, and it starts by learning the truth. If you're going to prevent the joy stealers, you had better, and I had better, start guarding your mind and my mind. And when we do that, we in turn guard our heart, our emotional life, because we respond and react, as we said a few weeks ago, by what comes our way, what we learn. You know, have you ever had somebody tell you some news and it was bad and it broke your heart? 
But then you found out later they were wrong. You went through all that emotion, all that sorrow, all that grief for nothing. For nothing. That's why you need to guard your mind, get truth in your mind, so that you can guard your heart from those emotional disappointments and struggles. So we guard our mind, and in doing so, we end up guarding our heart. And when we guard our minds and guard our hearts and surrender them to the Lord Jesus Christ, then we guard our joy. Then our joy is safe. Why? Because our joy is centered and focused on God's truth. Read the Word. Memorize the Word. Look at the world through the lens of God's Word. Yes, sometimes it's tough. Yes, sometimes it's hard. And sometimes it's uncomfortable. But it's always, always, always the best way to go. Stand in guarded firmness. R.C. Sproul said this in his book, Surprised by Suffering. He said, those who understand God's sovereignty. Let me stop there. Joy comes when we realize that God is in control of everything. Listen, this coronavirus wasn't a surprise to God. God wasn't up in heaven with his angels saying, oh my goodness, guys, what's going on down there? Where did this come from? God allowed it to occur. And maybe even God allowed it to occur for whatever reason, but he allowed it to occur. This, doesn't, this didn't blindside him. God is sovereign, and if God brought us into it, one way or another, God's going to take us out of it. Those who understand God's sovereignty, the, the, the belief and the understanding that God is in control, have joy even in the midst of suffering. Why? Because we know God allowed this suffering, and according to Romans chapter uh, uh, 11, all things work together for good to them that love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. You know, God is going to bring us through it. It's difficult, and yes, sometimes suffering involves hurt, pain, anguish. But even in the midst of that, we can find joy in knowing, you know what? God loves me. How do I know that, Pastor? Because He died on the cross, Jesus Christ, to save me from my sins. He loved me enough to give His life. He loves me. Number two, because He loves me, He wants the best for me. He wants the best. Because when you love somebody, you want the best for them. And so if God loves me and wants the best for me, and He's taking me through this, then I'm going to be all right one way or the other. So those who understand God's sovereignty have joy, even in the midst of suffering, a joy reflected in their very faces, for they see that their suffering is not without purpose. Again, if you come through this pandemic not different, not changed, not closer to God, not more emulative of Jesus Christ, you have missed the meaning of the misery. And the idea is to find joy in God. Maybe God is using this virus to pull our claws off of the temporal, off of the meaningless, off of the unimportant, and getting us to embrace Him in joy. Suffering is not without purpose. R.C. Sprawl goes on to say, when we find ourselves depressed, down and irritated, annoyed and otherwise unhappy, the joy stealers, when we find ourselves being assaulted by the joy stealers, he goes on to say, we need to return to the source of our joy. 
And the source of our joy is not what's going on in the world. The source of our joy is not our bank account. The source of our joy is not our spouse. The source of our joy is not our talent, our good looks, our youth, our health, whatever. The source of our joy is God. When we find ourselves depressed, down, irritated, annoyed, and otherwise unhappy, we need to return to the source, source rather, of our joy, and then we will see those circumstances that are sapping our joy in perspective. We'll be able to see why and how things are happening. We'll be able to understand this is just temporary. This will pass. One of my favorite phrases in the Bible is, it came to pass. This coronavirus came and it will pass. How do you know, Pastor? Well, because we have history for one thing. Spanish flu was 102 years ago, 1918. It ravaged the world even more than this one has and it killed millions. But you know what? It passed. Wars came and passed. Famines came and went. Depressions, they come and go. And this coronavirus came and it will go and God will remain the same. We can get a perspective on it. So I want to leave you with a verse that I love, a verse through my own personal difficulties and circumstances I've come to rely upon lately. And I think it's something that brings me a lot of peace and I hope it'll bring you a lot of peace. It says this in Proverbs chapter three. I've shared this with you before. You need to memorize it. Proverbs chapter three and verse five and six, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And the Bible, unlike us, uses heart and mind interchangeably. It's the seed of our cognizance. It's the seed of who we are, our thinking, our choices, our values. You know, that's how we get saved. We trust in the Lord with our entire being. We don't trust in our own personal efforts to be saved. Listen, there's nothing you and I can do to be saved. Religion can't save us. Being good can't save us. Keeping commandments, keeping religious laws can't save us. All have sinned and come short of God's glory, according to Romans 3.23. We've all fallen short. That's why Jesus came. God himself took on flesh, left heaven. How do you know you love me? Because he died on the cross for me. He died on the cross for you. When he died on the cross, he took the blame for our sin. Yes, past, present, and future. He died for the sins of all humanity that ever have lived, ever are living, and ever will live. He died and took the blame. He paid for our sin on the cross. He was buried and rose again from the dead. And when we place our full faith and confidence in Him as our Savior, God saves us. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And here's the kicker. And lean not unto your own understanding. In other words, if you're sitting there trying to figure it out, you're a frustrated mess because you're not going to. I've tried and I've driven myself crazy. And when I forget and still do it, I still drive myself crazy. He says, don't lean under your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. Put Him at the focus. Put Him at the center. And notice what it says. And He shall direct your paths. That word direct in the Hebrew literally means to make smooth and to make straight. Now, I didn't say change your path. He didn't say He'd end your path. If our pathway is to go through a coronavirus, if our pathway is to go through financial struggle, if our pathway is to go through relational problems, health problems, if our pathway is that, we'll still probably be on that pathway. But when we 
protect ourselves from the joy stealers and place our joy, faith, and trust in God. Try not to figure it out ourselves. We don't, we're not going to. And when we acknowledge Him, put Him at the center and focus of our lives, He will smooth those, those uh, paths like a shock absorber, and He'll direct us. So I encourage you today, seek God as your ultimate joy. Find Him as your joy. Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10 says, he, or rather Jeremiah 17, verses 5 through 10, tells us that He is our hope. He is our joy. And you will not find true joy without Him. If you don't know Jesus, trust Him and find that joy. If you do know Jesus, get your eyes off this world. Get your eyes off yourself and focus on Him. He is the true joy. And don't let anyone, anything, at any time, steal that away from you. For additional sermon resources and to find out who we are, visit us online at westconcordchurch.com. Thanks for listening.